tonight, we're going to try to do the trifecta and do three and one that we're going to briefly mention. And then next week, Morgan is going to finish up with the discipline of service. And then we're done. All right? Now, before we finish off this series between this week and next week, since the real subtext of all of our discussion has been spiritual formation, I'm going to try it one last time to come at it from this last angle. This is my last attempt to make this go in. Here are some of the things that we, I put up last week on the board that were the skepticisms that I feel whenever we wrestle with the spiritual disciplines and specifically the subject of spiritual formation that we wrestle with. I've tried this before in the past, nothing happened. Or, I don't see how practicing the disciplines leads to spiritual transformation. Another example might be, I'm doing just fine in my spiritual life without this added baloney. And I'm not really sure I really understand what spiritual transformation is or why I would want it. I think it's the last one we're going to camp out in. Let's pray and have the Holy Spirit come into our midst and hopefully give us some insight. Lord, this is your domain. Holy Spirit, you are the transformer, the sanctifier. You are the one that works in our hearts. Tonight, seize our hearts. Break down our skepticism. Bring us closer to you in everything that we do. Pray this in your name. Amen. I'd like to take that last one. I'm not really sure what spiritual transformation is or why I would want it. Kind of focus on that one. Here's what I think is the pattern that most of us think through. And by the way, I'm taking this pattern from Romans 8. But I'm going to kind of retranslate it a little bit into our own self-speak. So let me try it this way. We start off with this one. I have been saved by Christ. That's number one. Number two, I want to be his disciple and to be more like Christ. So far, so good. Number three, I know that part of this means I should no longer be a slave to sin. I resolve to fight my sinful nature. Notice it's I will fight my sinful nature. Four, I struggle against sin, but sin is inevitable. I just end up sinning again. Besides, no one expected that I would never sin again, right? So we get to five. Good thing I'm saved. <laughs> That's what's important. I'll just repeat step three and try harder. So we keep going back to number three. I should no longer be a slave to sin. I resolve to fight my sinful nature. And we keep going through this circle. Since Paul wrote Romans 8, he's been identifying this kind of struggle with our sinful nature when we try to do it ourselves. What he proposed in several epistles is a little bit different. Let's take the first two again. I've been saved by Christ. I want to be his disciple and be more like Christ. So let's go back to those two. What if instead it went something like this? Number three, I know the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms our heart and our nature from the inside. Four, I partner with the Holy Spirit in prayer, meditation, fasting, confession, all the other disciplines that we've talked about, and work with him to open my heart to his transformation. And you see I put some asterisks up there because this is the one that really we get the most stuck on. Like, how does that work? But you're partnering with the Holy Spirit and working with him, leading to this one. Sin begins to lose its hold on me. The results are not immediate, but over time, 
I'm surprised by the ways in which I'm changed. I'm beginning to be renewed from the inside by the Spirit. I think I'll repeat step four and continue partnering with the Holy Spirit with more disciplines. I think that's what we're after in spiritual transformation. Again, where am I getting some of this? I mean, I want to show you some scriptural support. I'm not just throwing up here like just talking to yourself in the mirror. I like myself. I'm a good person. Here's the key words that we really have to look at. Partnering and working with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? That's been this series about disciplines. Partnering and working with. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, really makes a great observation at the very beginning of the book. And it's this. When we teach people that it's the Holy Spirit who transforms us from the inside, when we teach people that struggling against our sin nature is not going to work, people run to the other extreme. I mean, most of us are in that place where we struggled, we struggled, and we just keep in that cycle of, I'll just keep struggling, Uh, I'm saved, who cares in the end, we'll work it out. But when we finally get the message that it's the Holy Spirit who transforms us, we're very tempted to do exactly the opposite, which is nothing. Just go to the other end of the spectrum and just go, well, if it's the Holy Spirit that does everything, that lets me off the hook, right? I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. And that's what I'm trying with this series to counterbalance. We have to partner and work with the Holy Spirit. Can I take you a step deeper to establish where I get that? In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul is admonishing the church with these words. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Look at that verse carefully, because we might skim right through this and not see that there's a tension in this verse. Because you might be saying, so wait a minute, is it my discipline or is it the Holy Spirit? You could say, yes. There's both going on. We are to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. It's God who makes it happen. Now, I know we've had this verse debated in here in the past about what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, if you will, from that discussion that Paul's use of the word salvation is not the same as our use where we say saved like as in forgiven of sin. He was using a different kind of word. His word for salvation that he uses in the book of Philippians is actually closer to what we've been studying, sanctification, transformation. It's what he's talking about, like work out your continuing sanctification, your continuing transformation with fear and trembling, like with with grave seriousness. In fact, I'm going to replace the word, okay? So work out your sanctification. We need to be working at it, but it's God who works in you. That word works in the works in you is a Greek word that if we translated it would say this, It's God who gives you the continual, uninterrupted power. Okay, The word in Greek is energon, which we use, actually we get the same word energy out of. It's like God who fuels our ability. God who gives us the energy. God who makes it possible. Who gives us the power 
to do the things that we're doing. It's really God doing the work. But that doesn't mean we do nothing. It doesn't mean we say, okay, you said the Spirit transforms. I didn't do anything, so just do your work and call me when it's done. Now we're to actually engage in that sanctification. We are working it out to become more Christ-like. Another verse that says, it kind of shows us like, here's our beginning, continue to do this. An assurance that it will continue during our lifetime as Christians. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our transformation, our becoming more and more like him, comes from the Lord, the Spirit. But it's ever-increasing, it's ever-ongoing, it's ever-perfecting, but it doesn't actually get there until the end. Because we know in 1 John 1-2, he says, We know that when he appears, and he's talking about that last day appearance of Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's when we get there. So for those of you who are in that sin cycle before, it's like, well, I'm never going to be perfect, so I mean, I'm just, thanks, I'm saved, because I'm never going to make it. Right. And we're never going to be fully transformed either. But it's an effort that we're commanded to make as an ongoing thing. Why is it so important to us as a group? Because we're so good in this group about listening about things, debating things and talking about things. That's good. Tonight we're going to cover the study of, I'm sorry, the discipline of study. We're going to cover the discipline of study. So in a way, that's a good thing that we have. But without bearing the spiritual fruit that comes with transformation, we're just actually caught in that sin cycle where we're like, I'm just going to be better. I'll just try harder. I'll just make it work. It doesn't matter. I'm saved anyway. That's a sad place to be stuck. In fact, read Romans 8, because Paul actually gives graver warnings about being stuck in that cycle of believing that somehow we, through our will, are going to conquer sin, which is impossible, he says, and leads to death, as opposed to letting the Spirit transform us, which leads to life. So that's my final pitch to try to make this relevant to us, because I know some of us are like, give me Matthew again, give me another series again. Let's leave it there for a second and go through these other disciplines that I'd just like to highlight for you before we close off with prayer next week. The discipline of study. What exactly is it first? It's transforming our minds through the study of written and non-written materials. Sounds kind of easy. It's really a keen sense of observation of what the Lord is doing. That's what the discipline of study is about. Here's some examples in Scripture. Paul reminds us in Romans that the renewing of our mind is very important to us. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the discipline of study, what we're trying to do is to renew our minds through what it is that we study and observe. In Philippians... Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That word think is not like ours, like just kind of ponder them. It's more of a deep introspection into those things, to hold them with esteem and to spend time in contemplation over them and to deeply understand them, to look into these things. 
Sounds kind of like something that we might be kind of good at in here. So that's kind of what the discipline does. Here's a couple things in practice, just some examples of it. First, we clearly can study scripture or other significant writings of the faith that are outside of scripture because some of us are just completely unfamiliar with all the writings that have come for the thousands of years that have come after most of the scriptures have been written. And there's great wisdom in there and there's great articles that we could learn from. Most of us are looking for what was published last year, if anything. So that's another place that we could spend time and study. But I think what's really interesting about this discipline to me is the study of non-written materials. Developing a skill that is actually honed by the spirit of observation, of trying to observe and understand deeply what God is doing in the world and the events of our time and things that surround us. So examples would be observing God in the world, the events that are going on, observation of nature, observation of people and society. God has left us evidence of everything that he is. One of the verses I was looking at was Romans 1.20. Like, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse as to who God is. Part of the discipline of study is to observe and to understand deeply things that are going on. But this isn't just a collection of knowledge. There's a lot of people who can collect a lot of knowledge about things. The discipline of study comes with great humility. I think we all know people who are really good at displaying their knowledge. But humility is a much harder thing to acquire and spend time before the Lord. I want to contrast it real fast with meditation. Because they're very related, but they kind of differ in focus. When we talked about meditating on Scripture, the question was asked, well, why shouldn't we study Scripture when we meditate on Scripture? Well, it's not that you shouldn't. It's just that they have different functions. So they kind of bleed over. I mean, they're both disciplines. But like, take a look at, for example, Scripture. Meditating on Scripture is asking, like, how does this apply to me? How is God speaking through his word to me? Not what does this mean to me? You don't get to make up your own interpretation. But just how does this apply to me? Does it speak to me? Do I need to hear this? Is the meditation of Scripture. The study of Scripture is understanding it. Now, what does it actually mean? What was the author trying to convey? That's the study that we're so comfortable with in here. Like, well, what's the word that backs that up? Or where are you getting that from? Or what does that word mean in Greek? Like, do we know that's what it really means? That's something I think we're kind of comfortable with. That's why we're not spending a lot of time on this tonight. I just want to point it out that it is a discipline. But I, I can't recommend enough the discipline of observation. Because I really believe there's actually a gift. I, don't know, it's not, I know it's not mentioned in Scripture. But there are just people to whom the Lord gives keen observation into things who can look deeply into things and understand them. And I don't mean like understand their meaning for prophetic future purpose. I mean just understand deeply what's going on in the world and what's going on in events and to make sense out of them for the body. And that comes when we spend time studying other things in Scripture and the books that surround them and even the events of our time and just spending time like, God, what are you doing? And just focusing on that, trying to understand, Lord, what are you doing in this world? Let's talk about the discipline of submission. This discipline involves self-denial, selflessness. 
It's placing others ahead of us. And I'm going to actually say this word, above us. It's a discipline that I think is foreign to some of us because it's not very American. We're looking for equality in everything. We want everybody on the same level. We wouldn't imagine submitting to somebody else. And, and I'm not talking about anything like wives and husbands. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you as a discipline submitting to somebody else's needs or to somebody else's authority because it's a discipline, because you expect the Lord to work in you through the humility that comes with submission. Think back to our discussion about confession, about how much our heart is softened by the act of going to somebody and confessing your sin to them. How vulnerable of a place that puts you. The discipline of submission is very similar in at least the way it softens our heart and puts us in a place of true humility. Where do we get the biblical support for this discipline? Jesus had these scriptures among many others. Because Jesus was very much against entitlement and against you being first. I just picked a few. Could pick a lot more. One of them was, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew, in context, what was he talking about? He had just heard Peter declare that he was the Christ. He announced that they had great authority over the church. Then he announced he was going to die. And Peter immediately starts to stand up like an authoritative figure and saying, no, Lord, we'll never let you die. We'll fight for you. And he's saying, no, Peter, you're missing the point. If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. You're going to need to submit to all sorts of authorities over you. You're going to submit even unto your death before you receive the glory that I was talking about a few minutes ago. It's an act of submission even to follow Jesus and give up things we might be entitled to. Yeah. I think the thing I struggle with is that a few slides before, it's like, you know how you're talking about the struggle of sin and the cycle, and it's like not by us, but it's by the renewing of our mind and for the spirit. But then like this one, it talks about submission, which is probably from our own will to submit. So how do you put two of those together? It is your own action, and I think that's a good clarification. Like, a lot of these things are our action so that God will do his part. Not like it's, he won't do it without it, but it's an increasing partnership of doing it. I've actually referred to the disciplines as artificial devices sometimes. Like you are deciding to submit, just like if I came to you and confessed and said, Ryan, there are some sins in my life and I need to confess to you, brother, and these are what they are. That's a kind of an artificial thing to do. Like the spirit might be prompting me to do it, but really what I'm doing is I'm deciding that if I follow that discipline for a year or two or more, that somehow God is going to honor that working of my heart and increase that spiritual transformation or make it possible. So it is you deciding, yes, I'm going to submit. Of course, it's a commandment, but it's us saying, I will submit. As a discipline, I'm deciding that that's a good place to place my heart in a posture of openness and humility. Someone explained to me this day that we have to act as if we're doing the work. So you still have to act as if I'm supposed to pray. Like, I have to do that. Like, I have to submit. I have to do this. Like, there's things we have to do. We have to see it from that perspective, mm. but also understand from the perspective that God is the one changing us, and God is the one that makes any of those actions significant. Like, so there's some element which, like, God works in us, but we have to act as if our actions themselves have meaning. Otherwise... I don't know how it makes logical sense, but that's the only way I can see it to operate in the world. 
especially the ones that Jesus told us to do, for example, I mean, we are honoring him. I mean, at some level, transformation or not, we always come back to this one thing in our group, which is Jesus commands obedience because he is the Lord. He is the king. So there are some disciplines that are so clear, like praying, fasting, giving, submitting. Here's another one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the context? Jesus had just told the parable of people at a banquet. Don't take the high place. Don't take the important place. Sit in the humble place. Then you will be moved up. And he's speaking again in the presence of Pharisees, listening to him about submitting and being humble. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. That one's Mark 9.35. What's the context there? Two of the disciples have just been arguing about who's going to be first in the kingdom of God. He's like, you don't get it. It's not about entitlement. You need to submit. Anyone who wants to be first, he must be the very last. That's a difficult one for a lot of us because we're looking for equality. How do we do it in practice? Submitting to God first. Submitting to the authority of Scripture. Submission to the believing community. What does that mean? I mean, we understand submission to God, submission to Scripture, but the believing community, you mean I've got to listen to people in my church or my ministry area? Yes, absolutely. God works through leaders, too. He works through a hierarchy sometimes of people that he's called and gifted for certain things. Not everything we do needs to be a vote because sometimes he places people to do those things. Sometimes you may have somebody, I've said down here, like sub submission to spiritual authority. Like there may be people in your life who should have spiritual authority that you should sit under and listen to because God has appointed them in that place. You might think, well, they're a jokester. I know more than they do. Or, but that's not for us to decide. That's something we've lost in the American church is any kind of sense of accountability or submission to even the church. Submission for the benefit of others and the needs of others. Submission in service. Humility in word and deed. Let me give you a picture of submission just from my own life, because maybe rather than putting something on the screen, I can just tell you something that might be meaningful. When I first came to Exodus many years ago, I wasn't teaching. In fact, when I came to Exodus, I was broken after a lot of bad ministry experiences in other places. And somebody else was leading Exodus. This is all the way back in 2001. Now, you probably know, because you see me up here blabbing all the time, and because I spent a lot of time in university settings teaching, that I like teaching, and I think I can do okay at it. But when I came to Exodus originally, my discipline was to keep my mouth shut and to submit to another. In fact, I knew that was my discipline. I felt the Lord calling me that discipline, and I actually said the words submission. When I first became a, a, whatever you call it, a leader in Exodus or a helper or whatever I was, I never said a word to the person who was leading, who's now my good friend Derek, that I could teach or that I wanted to teach. In fact, I didn't. And for three years, my discipline was to keep my mouth shut and to sit silently and support people who were there quietly. It was a discipline of submission because I knew that that's what I was being called to do and to never even say anything. I remember the first time Derek asked me to teach was because he couldn't be there. And he, was, he ran out of everybody else and he thought that I was scared to speak in front of people because I had never volunteered and never said anything. And he just thought I was clearly scared of speaking in public. <laughs> Little did he know that I could ramble on for two hours at a time, right? You guys know that all too well. And I remember that I got ready to speak, and 
Then it turned out by some weird thing that he ended up being there. The thing got canceled that he was going to go to, but he said, well, you already prepared it. Why don't you just do it anyway, if you don't mind. It was very hard for me because I knew that I was breaking a discipline that I had kept for three years, and I was wondering what was going to happen. But I remember as I stood up to speak, I was talking, and there's like Derek sitting right there, and the look on his face, I'll never forget it. It was like sheer shock and amazement. He was, I mean, I'll never forget that look. I almost was laughing the whole time I was talking because he was just sitting there like, oh my God, like, like the joke was on him suddenly or like I just revealed I was a chick or something. I don't even know what it was. He was, he was so amazed. And I remember he came up to me after. He's like, yeah, I'm going to just have you do it every week, man. I never knew. It's like, well, you weren't supposed to know. This was between me and God because it was a long road for me to even step back into ministry and I knew there was a discipline I had to undertake. What was the change in my heart, the transformation that came from that discipline? I have always been and still remain very humble about speaking. I still approach it with such humility and especially even if I take the platform in any church, I do it with such humility that I literally tremble before doing it because my heart was changed. There was humility in sitting under somebody for three years listening to him speak and I think the reason he was so amazed that night was he realized, like, all these years I've been speaking and you can do this? That's something that we don't do very often, to sit under the authority of somebody. And I did whatever he said. He was younger than me. But I came to respect him because I said, the Lord has put you in this place and I will serve under you and do anything you ask me to do. That's a thing that we don't have very often in our churches we should have. There's a related discipline that I'm only going to highlight very quickly for you. It's the discipline of stability. It's very similar to the discipline of submission. In fact, some people call them the same thing. The discipline of, of stability is staying someplace. I wrote up here that it's serving willingly in the place that God has placed us instead of coveting another situation where we think it's better. It's a call to perseverance. This is very awkward too in our culture to bring up because most of us are like, I have to be free to go wherever I want to go. We also in our individualistic ideas go, I need to be free to go wherever God calls me and God's calling me all over the place because I'm very, very important. The discipline of stability is sometimes God says, just stay, stick it out, submit to something. I got this from Paul Thigpen who wrote about the ancient Christians who lived in the desert who practice this discipline. Of course, you could imagine Christians living in the desert thinking there's always somewhere better to go than out there. But he was very serious and it's a great discipline to bring up. It's avoiding the temptation to change jobs, change churches, change ministries, change relationships. Yes, the discipline of, of stability is also about things like relationships, like not walking out on relationships or not giving up on them. It's about maybe staying in a job longer than you think you should because there's some measure of good things that comes from that sense of just staying put and seeing what God will do long-term if we persevere, rather than always trying to up the thing for God by moving around. Well, this is a better opportunity. This is a better place. This is a better thing. And saying there's something good about sticking it out. I've often said that churches give up on things too easily. They quickly abandon things. They try things for like three or four months, and if they don't work, they ditch them. And I think there's a measure of just staying put and saying we're just going to honor and just keep going. Now, I'm of course, not stupidly. And of course, there are legitimate times when you should be moving around. If the Lord calls, it's fine. Here's some signs to look for, like frequently discontent with what you are doing or where you are, or you move around to get away from any problem. Problem comes up and your first option thing is, I'm out of here. That might be an example of 
exercising the discipline of stability. Americans have a hard time with this. We move around every two years on average. Every job, we're like moving around every two years. So take that discipline because great things sometimes come when we just persevere and trust that the Lord is the one doing the work, not us trying to make a better opportunity for ourselves all the time. All right, last one. The discipline of corporate guidance. The reason I bring this one up is because we've talked a lot in this group about individual guidance. Just check out our whole series on God's will. But there is a discipline of corporate guidance, and it's found in the book of Acts. What it is first is seeking God's guidance as a community, recognizing that in Scripture, God primarily spoke to groups, not individuals. Now, of course, he appointed prophets, but his preferred method originally was to lead people as a nation, where he was their God and they were a nation. Over time, that evaporated a little bit, where they said, you know what, how about you just talk to Moses? Over time, that was like, well, how about you just like appoint a king and some judges? I mean, it got further and further away from the plan. But even in the early church, he spoke to the body primarily. How? By the Holy Spirit, which is in all of us. So recognizing that in the Acts church, that was the preferred method of discerning God's will to the community and even to individuals, was to sit together and to seek God's will collectively. It's a discipline that maybe we should undertake. Now, maybe we do it here when we do our, like, you know, American Idol-style voting on everything on the little cards, right? I mean, maybe that's our discipline of, of corporate guidance. But here's how it might look in practice in a couple ways. Like, seeking the wisdom of several individuals by themselves. Like, you might go to five or six people and say, I want you to pray about this, and I want you to tell me, here's what I'm going through, and I want you to give me your thoughts on it, and give people individual chances to do that. Have them come back together. This is a biblical model that was done. And if you hear similar things from similar people, maybe they've all heard individually from the Lord. It might be a way to confirm things that you hear from people. You know and I know that our biases and our prejudices sometimes get in the way when we give advice to people. We're speaking on our own motoring ability instead of sometimes really hearing what we might sense God wants for the situation. This is one way to negate some of that effect. Second, calling together a clearness community, which was very popular among a lot of Christian communities. You bring people together and you sit them down and you say, as wise people in our body, I'm going to tell you what I'm struggling with, what I'm thinking about, the decisions I've got, and I want you to sit and pray with me and think with me and question me and let's come to see if we can figure out what we're supposed to do. This is definitely in the Acts Church. We see this modeled over and over when Paul's trying to decide where do we go, what do we do next, what's the best option. And you'll see the phrase used over and over like it seemed best to us that, or it seemed good to us that. They use that phrase over and over. It means they deliberated together, and they were listening for the Holy Spirit to hear what is the Spirit saying. So if you suffer from that individual guidance compass thing, you could either check out our series on God's will where you can find most of the answers, or it actually is a good idea to gather up some people that you know and trust that you think are spiritually mature and sit with them in one of these clearness things. Say, this is what I'm thinking about doing, or this is what I'm going through. This is a decision that's before me. What do you guys think? Question me. Ask me. And listen to what comes back. Collectively make a decision. Yes, this is a matter of submission. Because, you know, if you're thinking that you want to convince people to go your way, you're, don't even convene the committee. If you're going to actually submit to what comes out of that group, 
You got a chance. Prayer and fasting together for God's guidance. We see that in Scripture. People collectively doing that together and sitting down. I've come to be a believer in this. And the thing that turned the, the trick for me was realizing that if, you know, I think like, well, how are we supposed to hear from God? But there's something great about the fact that all of us playing off each other produces something really cool. And in my view of God's sovereignty, I always think, well, God somehow sovereignly got all these people together. And whatever we wrestle with, there's probably a good chance that he knew that it was going to happen, called the right people together, and we ended up with the right decision just because of the personalities and the experience and even the biases in this room. I'll take them all. I just feel like with wrestling through that, somehow God is going to bring something great out of it. The reason I believe that is because I see what happens here every Sunday night. Even in the wrestling that happens here, God improves and he sharpens what we're talking about through the discussion and even through the objections. I believe God calls everybody in this room to be here to give their comment and sharpen us. So why not in decision making? Here's some cautions. Make sure to test everything against scripture. Remember that we are fallible. We make mistakes. We have emotions and biases that can influence the outcome. And sometimes, not often, sometimes, our call may go against even what our community believes. There are even instances in the Bible where people would have thought, no, that's not the right answer. Or when people just genuinely disagreed. And again, we have that model in the Acts church. They disagreed between Paul and Barnabas. Do we take John Mark with us or not? And they had a disagreement and they didn't resolve it except to say, fine, you go that way, I'll take them this way. Sometimes that's the appropriate way to go. Not often. Okay? I think often if you have enough mature people around you, you can probably get to a pretty good resolution. Yeah. Let's pray and close up, and then Ryan will come up. We'll play a little bit more. Lord, we lay all these decisions at your feet. Even in this group, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit speaks to each person and moves us. You knew before the beginning of all the ages who was going to be here tonight, how we would decide things, and how we would work together. Lord, we also lay these disciplines at your feet. We skim through them tonight just to offer them as additional tools for people who are seeking true spiritual transformation. My prayer, Lord, is throughout this series that at least just one discipline spoke to each of our hearts. Not to try to take them on slavishly, all of them at the same time, but to really seek, like, Lord, where is my heart? Where do I need to be transformed? What discipline, if I took seriously, would really help me to change? Knowing, Lord, that you are the true change agent. It's your energy. It's your power that gives us the fuel to do it. So, Lord, we offer all these mysteries to you tonight because they're, frankly, beyond us. We pray that your Holy Spirit continue to work in our midst and bring us closer to you. Pray this in your name. Amen.